0: Colossians. If you have not done so, take your Bible and turn it to Colossians chapter 1. And we'll pick up where we left off last week. And uh, we, I, told you, I told you guys last week that I had this mapped out into 10 sermons, but I figured by the time we were done, it'll be about 15. Uh, this sermon and next week's were supposed to be one in my regular schedule. So two weeks into the study, we're already adding sermons. You're just going to have to bear with me, okay? And uh, this morning, we're going to pick up just as Paul does, right? Paul has laid a foundation in the first couple of verses we looked at last week. And, and as we looked at this last week, we, we saw that Paul was uh, establishing this reality of focusing, focusing upon all that Christ had done in the life of not only the Colossian people, but also in the life of the Apostle Paul. And, and one of the things. Really, that everything that that God has done through the life of the Colossians, and ultimately in Paul's life too, but he says this specifically about the Colossians, is that he has established a relationship with them. And Paul talked last week, or we looked at Paul writing and talking about how they were in Christ. And this is a reference to being in union or to being in relationship with the God of the universe. And so Paul has begun building this foundation of the realities of the Colossian believers' lives being in Christ. And our text this morning picks up on that. Paul will will build on it. And and what we're going to see this morning and also next week is that Paul is praying for the Colossian believers in the first part of our text here today and next week, right, in the first part of chapter 1. He's praying for them. But what's really interesting is that as he prays to God for them, he is commending them. In other words, he's saying about the Colossians... You are doing these things well. And this is one of the things that we talked a little bit about last week. The report that Epaphras brought to the Apostle Paul uh, while he's in jail in Rome about the church in Colossae, Paul didn't plan it. We'll see this morning Epaphras did. And so he brings this report to Paul because Paul's going to help deal with some of the dilemmas. Paul's going to help deal with some of the conflicts and things that are going on in Colossae. And one of the things that Paul says as he begins writing is, I hear that you're doing well. I thank God that you are really doing well in walking with Christ. But nonetheless, there's some things that he's going to write to um, co- correct or address. You see, the reality is any ability to do anything for the glory of God is rooted in the fact that you are in relationship with him. Okay? Try as you may. You can do all you want, how you want, when you want, where you want, and claim that it be for the glory of God, but if you are not in relationship with God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you can't work to the glory of God. Now, God can use what you do. God could use you to his glory, okay? But, but there's a reality that we can work in vain for God if we don't know him, if we're not in relationship with him. Right? And so as Paul starts unpacking this prayer and and praying for the Colossians, he uses a sequence of words that he uses a few other places in his writings. We see this in 1 Corinthians. We see this in 1 Thessalonians. I don't know if there's a fancy way that they unpack it, but it's a triad of virtuous things. There's three things that are of, of, of notable cause that are worthy of notice that Paul talks about in the life of the Colossians. Faith, love, and hope. He does this in his other letters. He does it again here this morning in the life of the Colossians. But ultimately, as Paul reflects upon this faith, love, and hope of the Colossians, he thanks God, okay, for the fact that these characteristics are evident in their lives, okay? So as he's as he's writing this letter, he's praying, thanking God, but he's commending them for the things that are in their lives while acknowledging that God is producing them, okay? They're not doing it in and of themselves, and we'll talk a little bit about this in just a few moments, right? But these things are possible because of the fact these believers are in union with Christ. Your life exemplifies biblical faith and biblical love and biblical hope, because you're in relationship with Jesus, okay? And so Paul's going to praise God for this reality. So I'm going to read our text together this morning. I'm going to begin reading in verse 3, and I'll read down through verse 8, and then we'll make some observations. Paul writing, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world that is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. And the first part of Paul's prayer here, he prays for what God is doing through the union that he's created in the Colossians. Next week, we will see Paul praise what he would like to continue to see God do through his union with the Colossian believers. And so today, Paul is gonna, we're gonna examine where Paul says, this is what God has done and is producing. And next week, Paul's gonna pray, this is what I want you to continue to do, that God would be doing in you. But let's start by looking at the fruit of the union. Between Christ and the Colossians. So that's the first thing we're like. I want to look at the fruit of the Colossians union with Christ. And so, I trust we understand uh, that that is, just, uh, uh, that is just simply a reference. See, we all get going, Ethan, don't worry about it. It is simply a reference to what is observable in their life. The fruit of your life is what people see when they look at your life. What does your life produce? All right. So Paul begins, he praises God for, for his relationship and for what's being observed in the lives of these believers. What is evident in their lives is simply God honoring good biblical fruit of their relationship with Christ. So again, he's commending them. He is, what he has acknowledged, what he's heard rapport of, what he's going to express is that there are good, godly things radiating out of the Colossians. It's evidence of their union with Christ. And this picture of fruit and evidence is clear, right? It's used all throughout the New Testament to describe the lives of people. And here, Paul recognizes their fruit, and acknowledges and recognizing it that it is in keeping with their relationship with Christ. And what is their Christ honoring fruit? Faith, love, and hope. The Bible knowledge commentary says that faith is the soul looking upward to Christ. Okay. Love is the soul, love is the soul looking outward toward others, and that hope is the soul looking forward to the future. So faith is looking upward, okay, to what Christ has done. Love is looking outward towards others, and hope is looking forward to the future, okay? And this is a perfect description of what Paul praises God for in the Colossian believers. First, I want to examine their faith in Christ. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, Their faith is a result of that which they heard from Epaphras. This is what Paul touches on, we see in verse 7. Faithful brother, minister of the gospel, Epaphras, he plants this church in Colossae. He preaches the gospel to them, and their faith is a result of having heard the good news of Jesus Christ. They've heard it, and in hearing it, faith has been born. Faith in what? we all have faith. Every one of you has faith that the pew you're sitting on will hold you. If you didn't, you wouldn't be sitting in it. You would be standing there. Okay? And so there's a reality where we have to, we have to zero in here, right? Paul says he's acknowledging their faith. Faith. What faith has been born? What is this gospel? Okay? Because he says this is what Epaphras brought to them. So the gospel is what brings forth faith. But what is this gospel? What is the gospel that births faith in the life of a person? It's the message simply that mankind is sinful and separated from God because of sin. It's very simple, right? There's more to it. We're gonna get there. But there's there's this foundational reality that God is sovereign. He has created, and because he has created man, man is accountable to him, but sin has entered into the world through the first man that was created. Therefore, as Pastor Aaron was talking about this morning in our equip class, we're looking at Genesis. We jump over to Romans chapter five, because death entered the world through sin, sin through one man Adam, death and sin spread to all people. We are all sinners. That's what Paul says early on in Romans. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we talk about this gospel. What is this gospel message? It's that God is holy, just and right. He has made you. You are accountable to him. The dilemma that you have is the presence of sin. And your sin separates you from God. But the good news of the gospel is that God, in his grace and in his mercy, has made a way for mankind to be reconciled to the holy God. Though man is sinful and does not deserve to be reconciled to God, he nonetheless can be by faith in what is revealed in the word of God. But in order to receive faith, it's a a, really simple concept, isn't it? You're accountable to God, you're separated from God, which means you need to be brought back to God, uh, but your sin is the reason you can't be. But God made a way for that sin to be dealt with so that you can be. Okay? And so what happens is, if we're going to receive the faith, okay, if we're going to receive from God the gift of being brought back into that relationship with him, then we must believe what God has revealed in his word. We must believe, number one, that we are created by and accountable to God. We must believe that we are separated from him because of sin. And we must believe that the only hope of reconciliation is that God gave Jesus to deal with that sin. You and I can't do it. And nobody can do it for us except for Christ. And so what Paul is working through here when he talks about their faith in Christ is he's saying they've heard this message of Christ and they've believed what they were taught about God and they believed what they were taught about being made right with God. That they are only made right with God through faith in Christ. And sometimes we have to dig a little deeper. What does it look like to believe? Well, if our faith is a result of believing, and they're one of the same coin, okay? But what does that look like then to believe? I, I honestly think the simplest way to quantify what it looks like to believe is to agree with what the Bible teaches. It's to agree. If I say that I believe the Bible, then that that means that I'm saying I agree with what the Bible says. That I'm accountable to God and that I need to be brought back to God by Christ. And that Christ is the only way that this is possible. That it was his mission... to to fulfill the will of the Father to the glory of the Father by being obedient unto death, right? And that after he died three days later, the Father raised him from the grave, and that 40 days after that, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and furthermore, one day he's coming back. Well, he'll judge the living and the dead. But what we understand, what we see the Bible teaches us is that when Christ rose from the grave, it was the Father's stamp of approval, The message that he preached that got him killed was right. It was authoritative, and it was true, and they killed him for it. But we're going to bring him back to life to demonstrate he was exactly who he said he was. That he was God in the flesh, perfectly fulfilling the will of the Father. And this is the object of the believer's faith. That Christ is who he said he is. That Christ accomplished what he said he was going to accomplish when he was here, and that he is going to come again. There is no room for anything but this in biblical faith in Christ for salvation. Okay? I want you to understand that we were talking this morning in our men's study downstairs about the concept of truth, and one of the men said, you know, we hear people in our our world today, they talk about finding their truth. There is no such thing as your truth. And I know that that's not popular, I know some of you right now might be thinking, who are you to tell me that I can't have my own truth? I'm nobody to tell you that you can't have your own truth. But the word of God was written by somebody who tells you that. And if we are going to be right with a holy God, it is done on his terms, not ours. And so Paul is acknowledging, he is praising God for the fact that the Colossians heard and they believed and now they are right with God. And so when you hear this message, I, I, I really believe that one of the greatest things that's plaguing the church today is that we talk about sin and being separated from God and receiving salvation and being brought back into a relationship with God, and we stop there. There's, a, there's a, another aspect that I would say looks a lot like the fruit of the fact that you believe, and it's neglected in a lot of church circles today, and it's called repentance. Repentance. If you believe the truth of God's word, then that literally means you have to change your mind about whatever you believed previously. Because you didn't believe God's word before somebody told it to you or before you read it for yourself and by God's grace understood it. You believed something else. And see, one of the things that's plaguing the Colossians, and plaguing many of folks today still, is the reality that they hear about this Jesus, and they hear about the good news of him, and they hear about needing to be reconciled with God, and they say, yeah, that sounds good. Let me take this Jesus and put him up here on top of this shelf with all the other things that I believe. But to truly believe what the Word of God teaches, it, it requires repentance, That is to say, I used to believe all of these things, but now that I've heard about Jesus and I understand my accountability to God and the way that he has made for me to be made right with him, I am turning my back on these things and I'm going over here to where Jesus is all alone. There is faith and repentance are the same side of one coin. To truly believe requires repentance. It requires, the word repentance, I think I just said it, literally means to change your mind. Whatever you used to believe, you say, I don't believe that anymore because nothing over here is consistent with Jesus over here. There was some breakdown, some flaw, some uh, fallible idea, somewhere. And so we understand that Jesus is the only, he is the exclusive means whereby we are made right with God and our sin is dealt with. So we have to turn from these things to this. Biblical faith requires repentance, okay? And I cannot stress that enough. Faith, at the end of the day, in the believer's life is based upon the past work of Christ. I believe what the Bible teaches about what Christ has done. I have faith in that, and I live according to it. What does it look like to have faith? The simplest way I can put it is it looks like obedience. If you say you believe, that God says you were separated from him because of sin and therefore there's, you're accountable to him and judged for all of eternity and there's nothing you can do and you say, but I believe that Jesus is the answer to that. If you really believe that Jesus is the answer to that dilemma, okay, repentance takes place and then to live in faith means I do what God says in the rest of his word. We live in a world today in a church culture where we want the idea of salvation and being made right with God, but we really don't care about the rest of God's word. We don't want to know what God says. We don't want to know who God is. We don't want to know what God expects. That's not biblical faith. Because in our day-to-day lives, faith in Christ looks like obedience to Christ. Okay? If we got faith, Going to look like obedience. He also says, not only does he commend the fact that they have faith in Christ, but he goes on there in verse 4, he says, "Uh, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Paul also thanks God for the fact that there is love of the Colossian believers for other believers evidenced in their lives. Again, as we've noted, according to the Bible Knowledge Commentary, this is the focus of the believer's soul outward towards. Others, caring for those within the body of Christ in the ways that are necessary. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he would comment that faith, love, and hope, right? We know this. He talks about this triad we referenced earlier. Which is the greatest of these three? Love. Love is the greatest. And this does make sense when we think about what Jesus taught, right? Because when Jesus was asked, which commandment is the greatest? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it. Love others as yourself. And Jesus says this is the summary of all of the law and the prophets. Love God and love people. And if you love God, you will love people. Okay? And so Paul is commending them for this reality. They love God And they love the people around them. They love the saints. And it's, as we've noted, their love for God first that compels them to have love for others. If faith works based on the past, then love works based on the present. Okay? That makes sense, right? Because that's in keeping what we said. Faith is looking to what Christ has done. Love is looking to those around us. And the present outworking of love in the believer's life is an indicator of faith in the past work of Christ. Okay? You understand what I'm saying there? So if you truly have faith, walking in obedience as we've talked about, one of the fruits of that is love. You love others. You love God and and you love others. This is one of the fruits of faith in Christ. And this is why Paul would praise God for producing love in the Colossians. Love for others based on the work of Christ matters to God. Okay? What you do matters. How you engage with other people matters. When you neglect the needs of other people that you could meet, that matters. When you help the needs of others that you could meet, that matters generosity makes a difference every one of us in this room have probably been on the receiving end of something unexpected think about how you felt is the one who received that unexpected whatever it was but the reality of god's word is that that would be a regular part of the believer's love for one another it would be our desire and it would be our greatest delight to glorify God by loving people and meeting the needs that they have when we're able. But Paul isn't just commending them and praising God for their faith and their love. There's the reality that they have hope. They have hope for what is laid up for them in heaven. Their hope, we could probably say, is the motivation For their faith and for their love. Because remember, hope is looking forward to the future. In other words, what the future has in store is the cause of their present lives. Because of what they believe is awaiting them, it actually impacts the way that they live now. And so if you think about what you really have is you have a faith in Jesus that understands who he is and what he's done, that compels the way I live, and I have a hope in the future laid up for me in heaven that impacts the way that I live. We started last week by talking about the fact that there is no part of the believer in Jesus Christ's life that is untouched by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if our lives are, are steered, if you will, are motivated by or lived out or lived according to what Christ has done in the past and what Christ is set to do in the future, I mean, look, if we're drawing a straight line and this is the past and this is the future, I'm dead in the middle of it somewhere. My point is I'm on this line. I'm on this path. Meaning when this drives me and this compels me, it makes a difference here. It makes a difference now. If the Colossians' future hope is based upon what Christ has promised, then their lives are going to show those things that matter to God. I got something better than this, I got somewhere greater than here. I understand what Peter says. Man, I'm just a sojourner passing through, I'm here but for just a moment. There's realities of this life that I have to live, right? I need things to survive in this life, and that makes sense. But, but there's a difference between having what you need to live in this life to the glory of God and, and, being, and making those things your priorities. See, a life that now is created on everything that the world has to offer, I just want to level with you, is not looking ahead to the hope of Jesus. Now, don't hear me say... I hate the world we live in. I have to say, I have to give this caveat anytime I make a comment about material things in the world that we live in. It's not bad or wrong to have nice things. It's not bad or wrong to have nice things. It's not bad or wrong to be wealthy. But if that's your priority, it's bad and it's wrong. Because that's not what God has called us to. Does he bless some people in that way? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And if he's blessed you in that way, it's so that you could love others, so that you could be generous, not so that you could build more storehouses. You remember the parable that Jesus taught, right? And so if our hope is built on what Jesus has promised in the future, how we live now will be evidence of that. And if our, li- if our hope is in something else, then our lives won't manifest the things that are most important to God. If our hope is not in what God has promised, then the things that motivate us and drive us and determine what we do will not be the things that matter most to God. If, if, if importance is found in current comfort, then we're not going to care for others if it's an expense to ourselves. Oh, yeah, I can do that. That's no big deal. Oh, I have to sacrifice to do that? Not interested in that. You see, that, that's a, a phenomenal picture of what it looks like to love others. To truly love others should cost you something. I mean, after all, think about the greatest demonstration of love. It cost him everything. It cost him his heavenly abode. Costing him torture, beatings murder. It costed Christ his life, everything, in order that the gospel that could be believed by faith can be offered. And if I'm honest, in our churches today, we function as much as it doesn't cost us anything. I'll do it if I don't have to sacrifice. I'll do it if it doesn't put me out. But if it costs me something, God's probably leading somebody else to do it. It's not what Paul says. Paul says, what I heard about you guys is that you have love for the saints. Your love is so deep and so rich, people can see it. It's observable by the people who come into your midst. A Epaphras, he comes back and he says, man, the Colossians, they got this thing right. Their faith in Christ, their love for others because of their hope in the future. If we're settled on a willingness to not sacrifice to love others, then our lives are all about the present. But we don't see that with the Colossians. Their life is based upon a future hope, a hope that is laid up for them in heaven, as promised by Christ. He told his disciples in John 14, what did he say? I'm going to go away from you. To do what? To prepare a place for you. That where I am, you may be also. The present comfort of this world pales in comparison to the future perfection of the believer. And whether or not we truly believe this will be evident in the way that we live our lives. The Colossian believers are in union with God through Christ, and there is no denying that due to the fruit that their lives are bearing. And so this fruit, it's very evident in the Colossian believers and sometimes if we're not careful, and this is one of the things I really appreciate about Paul's prayer, is if we're not careful, then we can wrongly view the believer as the source of the fruit bearing. When you look at the people in Colossae and say, they are bearing faith, hope, and love. But Paul praises God here for something else. Paul praises God here for the fact that he is the source of the Colossians' union and subsequent fruit. Fruit. It is ultimately God who is bearing this fruit. And that's why Paul begins this prayer by what has been in the Colossian believers' lives by praising God. He praises God that they heard the word of truth, that they heard the gospel. Right? We've already mentioned in our discussion on faith it's that relationship to the gospel, but it's important to recognize what is a simple truth that I think we often overlook, and we've touched on this as well already. In order for someone to believe truth, truth must exist, and somebody must tell them the truth. And so God praises, or Paul praises God for the fact that Epaphras had the truth and told them. He had the truth and he told them. And this truth is bearing the fruit fruit of faith, hope, and love. Paul reminds them here as he's writing and praising God of how it was Epaphras who brought the gospel and how it's Epaphras who has now come back to Paul and given this good report of the fruit of the gospel. And Paul rejoices over their love for him. Paul rejoices over their love for others. But he qualifies this love, right? There in verse 8, And has made known to us, so Paphras has come back, and he's made known to us your love in the spirit. And as I read this, as I was kind of looking through this and studying a little bit last week, I feel that there may be a little a little bit here of where what Paul is communicating gets lost in the ESV. That's the, the translation that I read out of. And so I actually want to read verse eight for you out of the New Living Translation. Paul Paul writing says, He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. That's the whole crux of the union with Christ and the fruit that that union produces. It's of the Spirit. The Colossian believers believe what they had been taught, what had been proposed to them as truth. They believed it, and by grace through faith, they received the Holy Spirit of God, and this church was born, and now they're living it out. It is the spirit that grants and grows faith. It is the spirit that compels a person to love. And it is the spirit that fixes a person's hope on their future with Christ. It is the spirit that is the source of all things that belong to the believer in Christ. The gospel believed and lived out is apparent. You don't, I've probably told you this before, the president of the Bible college that we went to, um, I, I, I don't remember a lot of chapels I sat through in four and a half years, but I do remember one of the things that Dr. Anderson said one time, maybe Aaron will remember this, I don't know, I've probably said it to him, not in light of him, but, you know, said it to him just in conversation. Dr. Anderson said one time, faithfulness is not spoken, it's observed. You don't have to tell people that you're a follower of Christ if you're living like it. You don't have to tell people that you have faith in Christ and that you're living for the hope of the future and that you have love for others if you have those things. Because it's observable. Because the world that we live in is so drastically different than what God desires for His people that when His people actually live like He desires, the world can't help but notice. The person walking with Jesus in faith, love, and hope doesn't have to tell people. It's observable. And so Paul thanks God for the fact that this faith, love, and hope is apparent in the believers' lives, or in the Colossian believers' lives. You see, Paul's prayer begins as a thank you to God, as a thank you for the evidence of his working in their lives. And as I, as I work through this, and I'm studying this this week, and of course I, I started reading some of these notes and different things back in the fall, before we did the vision and value stuff that we worked through from like August on. I started doing a little bit of reading and prepping for Colossians. And I find myself, as I think about this, this, this response of Paul to the Colossians, that begins with a praise and a thank you to God for the work that he has done and the fact that as he's at work, it is noticeable to everyone who comes in contact with him. And as I think about this, I find myself asking the same question over and over and over and over. Would Paul be able to thank God for the evidence of his working in our lives? If somebody came to me and took stock of the way things were going and went back to, I don't know who would be. Let's just use my mentor as an example. Not equating him with the Apostle Paul, but you can kind of see that relationship there, right? My mentor has never been here um, but I'm here as a result of the gospel, much like the church in Colossae's planted as a result of the gospel. Let's say somebody comes here, and they take an inventory to me, and they go back to my mentor. I wonder, would this be their report? If a fly on the wall at Dale Bible Church could write a report about the state of Dale Bible Church, would that report say that, that God is commended for the faith, love, and hope that are just beaming out of the body of Christ at Dale Bible Church? I don't know, I can't answer that question for you. I can answer it for myself. And the reality is, in order for that to be a resounding yes in regards to the body as a whole, it has to be a yes for the individuals of the body. that's not just a couple people that's not just a few people that's not just a handful the reality of Paul's letter here to the Colossians is he prays and thanks God is that it is abundantly clear that the Holy Spirit of God was working in the church in Colossae that their faith was evident that their love was evident and that their hope was evident Is that true of Dale Bible Church? Do we live a life as individuals, as a body that's marked by faith, that manifests and radiates biblical love for one another? It's driven by a hope that, you know what? We want to love as well as we can here because we've been loved by Christ. And because I believe his word to be true, there is a day fastly approaching for all of us where we will stand face to face with Jesus and we will realize the fullness of the treasure that he is and that he has in store for us. I cannot overstate If you believe that Jesus is the treasure to behold and that he is the one to be acquired, it changes your life. If you get to heaven and Jesus isn't there, you're going to be disappointed. He is the treasure. He is the prize. Do our lives reflect that? Could somebody from outside write a letter that praised and thanked God for the evident working of His Spirit in our midst to the demonstration of faith, hope, and love.